Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Well, thank you again for being here uh, this weekend. And uh, we're continuing a series that we started last week. Uh, Pastor Kendall um, preached last weekend and led off this series for us, a new series called Love Wins. And this series is all about relationships, and that's what we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks. And, um, and I want to encourage you in this too. Next weekend, uh, Kim, my wife, Pastor Kim, and I will be on stage together, and we're going to be talking about marriage and dating relationships and what does that look like. And, um, and we would love to field some of your questions. So if you've got questions that you would like us to answer, we're going to do some of that next weekend. And you can text uh, love wins, all one word, love wins, to the number 94000. When you do that, um, you're going to be allowed to submit your questions. So let us know what your questions are this week, and we'll get to as many of those as we can next weekend. Um, but really, this weekend, I just want to talk to you about friendships a little bit, because friendships are important. Uh, relationships are vital. In fact, one of our core values here at Summit Church is healthy relationships. We value healthy relationships. I feel like if your relationships are healthy, if your relationship with God is healthy, it's going to help your relationships with people. If your relationships with people are healthy, it's going to help your relationship with God. It just makes life better. So one of our core values is healthy relationships. And we believe that we're committed to loving others sacrificially and resolving conflict biblically. This is our statement. We're committed to loving others sacrificially. And resolving conflict biblically. We're not saying we'll never have conflict, but we're saying when we do have conflict, it's inevitable because we're humans. We're going to resolve that in a biblical way that brings glory to God. And that's what our goal is. And friendships are important, and it's important for us to have healthy friendships. But one of the things I've seen is we talk about uh, inflation from an economics perspective, and we talk about things like recession, and but, but I believe there's a a friendship recession in the world we live in today. I believe that relationships have been impacted negatively by things like COVID and lockdowns. Uh, we were in routines and habits. We were in normal rhythms, and then those rhythms were broken. Maybe you were going to the office every day, and then you stopped going to the office, and those relationships changed. Uh, maybe it was church. You were attending church faithfully. You're in your small group, whatever it might be, and then all of a sudden you weren't, and now those relationships changed. And what happened is there's a deficit in our lives of relationships, and we were made for relationships. God wants us to be in relationship with people. Um, even here in, in our church, it's amazing. Uh, our church is just like every other church in America right now because virtually every church in America, um, it's amazing. Their attendance is down, but their giving is up. So I can't explain that. I don't know how that works, but that's ha- what's happening in many churches across America. And our church, uh, the attendance has gone down because some people just haven't come back. They got comfortable, uh, they got complacent, maybe they went to another church, but whatever it is, they didn't come back. Uh, and, but what we've seen is a ton of new people coming to church. And maybe you're here this weekend, or maybe you're watching in Blairsville this weekend, and you recognize the fact that, you go, man, I'm new, I don't know anybody. That's okay. One of my staff, this last week we were talking, and, and he said, Mel, there's so many people I don't know. And I said, it's okay, we just get to know people. We all assume that everybody else knows everybody and we're the only ones. It's not the case at all. Uh, it's important for us to go, nope, 
we're all new here together. Let's just assume that you don't know me and we're gonna get to know each other. That's one of the reasons if I meet you in the lobby, I'm still gonna introduce myself. I'm not gonna act like you should know who I am. And the reason I do that is because um, some people go to church here a long time and they still can't remember my name. And that's okay. But the reality is, there is a friendship deficit in the world we live in. And a friendship deficit means a relational deficit and a, a deficit in intimacy as well. And God desperately wants us to be in relationship with people. That's how we were made, and that's what we're wired for. Um, there's a passage in Ecclesiastes I want to share with you. And there's several verses I'm going to share today from Solomon. He wrote Ecclesiastes, and he wrote most of Proverbs. And so I, I want to share from the wisest man who ever lived some of his thoughts on friendship and relationships. Uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse seven, he says this, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of the man who is alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving so much, up so much pleasure now? It is all meaningless and depressing. And what he's saying isn't an indictment on leaving an inheritance or not leaving an inheritance. What he's saying is there are no relationships there and that's what the issue is. That's what causes the meaninglessness in his life. He goes on in verse nine. It says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? And there are husbands all over this room and watching from Blairsville and online that are going to memorize that scripture. Because when it starts getting cold this winter, they're going to be like, hey, baby, Pastor Mel said. Come on, scooch over here, baby. Come on, right? Sly devil. Verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. What is he saying here? He's saying relationships are important. And in Western Pennsylvania vernacular, if, if you're driving in the snow and you end up in the ditch, you better have a friend with a, a winch and a pulley and a four-wheel drive vehicle to pull you out of that ditch, right? And what happens if you end up in a ditch and you don't have anybody to pull you out? You're gonna sit there a while. This is what happens. This is not just what happens physically. This is what happens spiritually, emotionally, relationally for us. What happens is we get ourselves into, into an issue, into a problem. We find ourselves in a ditch in some area of our life. And then we go, man, I wish I had somebody to pull me out of this ditch. And what Solomon is saying is it's important for us to have friends. Two are better than one. Three is better than two because we all need friends. We all need relationship. The best time to make a friend is before you need a friend. See what happens, we end up in that ditch and we start trying to make friends with people. Hey buddy, you got a four wheel drive? You wanna be my friend? Right? No. We, we've gotta make friends before we need them. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves at all times, and look at this, and a brother is born for adversity. See, lots of people can be friends with you when you're doing well. A lot of people wanna be your friends when you hit the lotto, right? You've got people from high school coming out of the woodwork. They're like, hey, buddy, you were always my best friend in high school. Like, I haven't talked to you in 17 years, right? They wanna be your friends when things are good, when you might be able to do something for them. We find out who our friends are when we hit rock bottom. 
Who is there for us when we are at our lowest? Who is there for us when we're at our worst? That's how we find out who our friends are. Because a brother is born for adversity. They're gonna stand with you in your worst moments. That's how you see who your friends are. In the groundwork we laid last week, we talked about Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and 23. This is the fruit of the spirit. And this is what we should be seeing in our relationships and our friendships. It says this in verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is what should be produced from the relationships in our lives. So listen, your your relationships should result in the fruit of the Spirit or be the result of the fruit of the Spirit. And if not, something's got to change. So so what I mean is this. Uh, There are relationships that are born because the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in my life and someone else's life. We're pulling in a common direction. And that's what brings us together. And then there are times that that my relationship with someone else, I will see the fruit of the Spirit being produced in that relationship. I will see that I'm becoming more patient, I'm becoming more kind, I'm becoming more joyful because of this relationship. And that's the way it should be. Now the problem is, many of us have relationships that are not producing these things. We have relationships in spite of the, the cost on our spiritual life. And this is where we have to examine the importance of maintaining relationships that are costing us joy and costing us peace and costing us the fruit of the Spirit. Because that's really what we're giving up when we're in a relationship with someone who's toxic and someone that that maybe we shouldn't be. Maybe God didn't call us to this relationship. We just feel guilty because we feel like they're Savior. Well, if, if I don't, who is? All the while, our spiritual life is eroding See, healthy relationships, when we talk about our core values, healthy relationships does not mean perfect relationships. It means relationships that are submitted to God. So God, I want to submit every one of my relationships to you. I want the the fruit of those relationships to bring glory to you. And that's what our goal is, that every relationship is submitted to God. Every relationship reflects who God is and what he wants us to be. That's easier said than done. So when I, I sat down to worked through and I was praying, God, what do you want, what do you want to say? What do you want me to say? Um, one of my first thoughts when I think about biblical friendships is uh, King David. If, you don't, if you're new to church or you're not familiar with who he is, King David killed Goliath. Uh, he became king of Israel. He succeeded a king named Saul. And Saul's son was a guy named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David, Scripture says that their, their hearts were were um, knit together, that they just loved each other instantly. And I think people, sometimes we meet people like that, that our hearts are just connected to somebody else. I don't think that's the norm, though. I don't think that's regular. Um, but we see this really beautiful friendship in spite of adversity, and I thought about it and prayed about it. I was like, no, that doesn't feel right, because if we're gonna be honest, that's not normal. Most of our friendships aren't friendships like that. Most of our friendships look a little different. And most of our friendships have more hurt and more brokenness involved. And what I would like to do is help us navigate what that might look like. So um, the Apostle Paul, his, he's Jewish and Roman. Um, so 
Jewish people called him Saul a lot of times. Paul was his Roman name. And so we see him, him use both names at times in Scripture, depending on the context. And Paul was a guy, uh, if you're new to church again, if you don't know the story, Paul was a guy who, um, he hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. He was a Jewish leader and authority. And we're introduced to the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, uh, we're introduced to him when he's overseeing the, the murder of a Christian named Stephen. So Stephen is being martyred, and Paul is observing this in Acts chapter 8. Uh, what we see then is the next chapter, Acts chapter 9, Paul is on the road to Damascus. He is going to persecute some more Christians. He's heard about where some Christians are, and he's going to go take them out. And this is who this guy is. He's, he's the boogeyman for Christians, if I could say it that way. And he is on the road to Damascus to go hunt down some more Christians. And on his way, he has this powerful, incredible encounter with Jesus Christ. And he is knocked off his horse. He's blinded. Um, he, he, he is a total 180 life change. It's incredible. It's crazy what God does. And after this moment, he's like, I got to get to Jerusalem. Because this is the, the hub of Christianity. So this is where we'll pick up, and there's more to the story, but I can't get into it right now. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Listen to this. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. How do you think that first church service was when he walked in? <laughs> like maybe he got there a little bit late, you know, and people are worshiping, and all of a sudden they're like, it's Paul, it's Paul, it's Paul. He wasn't the apostle Paul, he was Paul the boogeyman at that point, right? Like, oh my gosh. Do you, do you think anybody was like, oh, come spy me? I got a seat for you. Come some, no. Do you think anybody was like, man, I'd love to invite you to my small group. It would be so great to have you. No. I don't think so. No one was excited about seeing him show up to church. No one wanted to include him in their small group. Nobody was inviting him to be part of the dream team. They were hoping he would leave because he was a threat to them. He scared them. Rightfully so, Right? Look at what it says in verse 27. But Barnabas. I love this so much. There was one man in the church. He was a leader. We don't hear a lot about Barnabas in scripture. But it was clear that he was a man with authority. And he stepped up. But Barnabas. He sees this man who is, he's got a reputation. He's got a background and he's got a history. And he's got baggage, and nobody wants to be around him. He's a pariah in the Christian church, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, the, the Greek Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the, the man who initially they didn't want to be around, they started accepting him. They eventually became friends, and they wanted to guard him and protect him and shield him from danger. So they did. But Barnabas... How different would the history of Christianity look if it wasn't for this two-word statement, but Barnabas? 
Paul's responsible for so much of what we see in the New Testament. He has laid an impact probably greater than any person in Scripture other than Jesus. And it took one man saying, nope, we're going to be his friend. No, I'm going to look past the baggage and the junk and the issues. And he became his friend. Barnabas is known as an encourager. He was someone who saw the best in others. So Acts chapter 10, 11, and 12, the story diverges to Peter. And then it comes back to to Paul in Acts chapter 13. It's interesting, early on in Paul's story, um, they don't say Paul and Barnabas like we know to now. Uh, They say Barnabas and Paul. And the reason is because Barnabas was the headliner. Barnabas was the mature Christian, and Paul was this acolyte. He was this new believer, this, you know, wet behind the ears, you know, young man trying to figure this out. Barnabas and Paul were sent out on their first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. They're going out to start churches, to plant churches, to begin gospel works. And and what we see is in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, it says that this young man named John Mark leaves them. So he's on this journey with them. He's their assistant. He's like an apprentice. Uh, he's a, a resident like we have, and that's what he's doing. He's with them to do ministry. And then he goes, man, I'm homesick. Or man, I miss my girlfriend. Or whatever it is, we don't know specifically. But he leaves them and goes back to Jerusalem. It's kind of a side note. We don't think much of it until later. So in Acts chapter 15, we see uh, Paul and Barnabas come back to Jerusalem because there's this council. They're trying to figure out some doctrinal issues. So Paul and Barnabas come back. After this is ironed out, they have this great idea. So this is where we'll pick up in Acts 15, 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Great idea. Man, these guys had spent so much time together. Barnabas had discipled Paul. They were intimate. They were in relationship together. They were friends. They journeyed together. They'd spent years together up to this point. They'd literally started churches together. And Paul says, let's go back again. Let's go see some of the churches. Let's go visit some of the spiritual children that have been produced. And Barnabas agreed in verse 37 and wanted to take along John Mark. And John Mark was also his cousin, by the way. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas as he left, and the believers entrusted him in the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Now you might think, what's the big deal? What we see is this friendship seemingly ended. Because of a disagreement on forgiveness, essentially. Hey, should we bring him with us? No, we should not bring him with us. And what's interesting is both of these men could make a strong biblical case for whether they should do it or not. It's, it's interesting because Barnabas could have quoted Proverbs seventeen nine, And he would have said this, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Love flourishes when a fault is forgiven. Love grows when a fault is forgiven. But dwelling on it separates close friends. Um, 
ruminating about it, thinking about it, replaying it over and over and over will cause brokenness in our heart to spill out into brokenness in relationship as well. In the English Standard Version, it says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but who repeats, he who repeats a matter separates close friends. See, this could be us repeating it to others. Oh, I've forgiven them, but let me tell you about how they did me wrong. No, no, I've forgiven them. Oh, I have no hostility about them, but let me tell you. And sometimes that is less damaging than us repeating it in our own hearts, and our own minds. We think about this offense. We think about the hurt. We think about the brokenness. We think about the betrayal over and over and over and over. And it makes forgiveness impossible. It makes it impossible to reconcile with a friend. So what happens? Well, the relationship is broken. So it would have been easy for Barnabas to go, hey, we're going to forgive. That's what scripture tells us to do. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. But then Paul could have quoted Proverbs as well. Proverbs 18, 24, and then NIV says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He said, we can't, we can't trust this guy. He's unreliable. He left us in the middle of our work. He ran off. We can't trust an unreliable friend. The work we're doing is too important. He could have justified that because that's who John Mark was. He was unreliable at that point. What happens? There's this schism. There's this brokenness in this relationship. And this is why I want to talk to you about this because I feel like there is more brokenness in relationships than there are Jonathans and Davids. That our hearts are just knit together forever no matter what. So what happens? How did this happen? Well, both of these men were focused on what God was wanting to do. They just had different interpretations on how God wanted to do that. And it'd be easy to go, well, man, this is a failure, but it's not a failure. And I want to tell you why. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, uh, the prophet is speaking to the king. And this is what he says. He's talking about God. He says, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. But did you catch the first line? He says, he changes seasons and times. He says, there is a season for everything, as we see in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a season for everything. God has set, uh, he has appointed seasons. Some parts of the country, you don't get seasons. Did you know that? When I lived in Oklahoma, we would, we would get spring for about three days. It was either cold or it was really hot. There was no in-between, right? There's places like that in the country. Here in western PA, we get seasons. Now, winter is the only season I can ever think of most of the time, but there are four seasons. And what happens? The seasons change. Things develop. Things grow. Things die. That is part of the natural cycle of life. And I want you to hear this, and I hope this helps you. Every relationship in our life is seasonal. Every relationship. Even my relationship with my wife, Kim. Every relationship is seasonal. At some point, our relationship will end. Hopefully it won't be till I die, right? And statistically, I'll probably go first. I'm just saying that. Let's be honest. But at that point, our relationship is over. And my hope is that she never remarries. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but 
that season will come to an end, won't it? And you've seen this in your life. There are people that you're friends with, and in the moment you think, man, we're going to be friends forever. And then something happens. Maybe it's a job transfer. Maybe they take a different job and they leave your office. Maybe you're a student and the school year changes to a new school year and they're not in your class anymore, so now you're just not as close. Now you still know them, but the season is different. Now the relationship has changed. Um, We've got a, a former board member of our church who I love very much. He was one of my closest friends when he was here. And he took a job in Texas and he moved away. I love him and I love his family, but our relationship changed because the season changed. Does it mean that he was wrong? No. Does it mean I'm wrong? No. It just means sometimes things change. Now, the problem is for many of us, we don't recognize that relationships are seasonal. And when relationships change, we think somebody's at fault. And maybe they are, but oftentimes they're not. Sometimes no one's at fault at all. Sometimes life happens. There's a passage that I love from Amos chapter three, verse three. From the New Living Translation, it says this. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? There's another translation that says it this way. How can two people walk hand in hand if they're not going to the same place? Um, You know, I mentioned earlier, our our attendance on a weekend has gone down, but I think in in many ways our effectiveness has gone up. Because we're still seeing people saved. We're still sending out missionaries and doing work and all the crazy things that God's doing here. It's great. Um, but when, when people haven't come back, um, it's hard for us as pastors, not just me, but our staff. It's hard not seeing people that we saw before, not being in, in relationship like we were before. And just so you know, um, when somebody leaves our church um, I'm typically, if somebody goes to another church, I'm not offended. I might be disappointed because the relationship changes a little bit, but as long as they're in another God-believing, Bible-believing church, I'm cool with that. They didn't leave the family, okay? Uh, they're still part of the, the kingdom of God. I'm cool. But I have issues when somebody um, leaves and they don't go to church anywhere, because I want them to be in church, or they, they leave badly. And the way you can leave badly is two things. One is really bad. If you burn bridges on the way out, and you're like, you know, guns blazing, here's all my issues, here's all my problems. Because remember what I said earlier, our vision, I mean, our, our value statement is we want to love people sacrificially and resolve conflict biblically. And guns blazing is not biblical resolution to conflict, by the way, just so you know. A Facebook post about your old best friend is not biblical resolution to conflict. And so guns blazing is not a good way to do it, burning bridges. Uh, But the other thing is, if you're older like me, maybe you're not familiar with this term. I learned it from my teenage daughters. There's a term in teenage vernacular called ghosting. Has anybody heard of ghosting? This is when you don't want to break up with someone or you don't want to end a relationship. You just ignore them. You just treat them as if they don't exist. You stop returning texts and phone calls and things like that. And that's what some people do too. And this is the thing. When you live in Blairsville, Pennsylvania, or Indiana, Pennsylvania, and you ghost your pastor, you're going to see him at some point. This town is too small. You're going to run into me at, at Walmart. 
Maybe not Walmart, that might be a bad example. Uh, you're gonna run into me at Giant Eagle or Martin's or some at the, at the ball game at IUP, something. You're gonna see me. And this is the thing. Um, if you ghost me, I'm gonna call you out. When I see you at Martin's, which I'm thinking of in a specific example I had with a guy. I love our people that have left. I love them. I really do. But I'm going to say, hey, how are you doing? I miss you guys. Where are you going to church now? I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to pretend like you still go to church here. <laughs> because I want you to be in church somewhere. So I just want to help you with that. Now, the people that have left, this is the thing. They're not bad. They're not evil. None of them. But this is what I want you to hear. We had divergent paths. At some point, they made a decision and said, well, I can't go where you're going. All right, God bless you. That's okay. There are other churches that sing hymns or have pipe organs or, or whatever it might be. That's great. Go do that. Doesn't mean they're bad or we're bad. And this is the application for your relationships. There are times relationships end, and the reason they end is because how can two walk hand in hand if they're not going to the same place? Sometimes somebody's got a vision for their life that is divergent from your vision for your life, and you can't walk hand in hand. It doesn't mean they're evil. It doesn't mean you're evil. It just means you can't walk together. It means the season is coming to an end. And Paul and Barnabas got to a place where they said, we can't walk together. And God blessed Barnabas' ministry, and he blessed Paul's ministry. And did incredible things, but they couldn't do it together. See, I said earlier, healthy relationships doesn't mean perfect relationships. It means relationships that are submitted to God. But I would take this a step further, and I want you to hear this. Your relationships can't be submitted to God unless your heart is submitted to God. So healthy relationships begins with my heart being healthy with God. Me saying, God, I want you first and foremost. I'm going to prioritize you above everything else. And as I do that, my relationships naturally get better. As I take on the characteristics and the heart and the values and the nature of who God is, I have the mind of Christ, I'm going to begin loving my wife better. I'm going to begin treating my staff better. I'm going to begin loving the people around me better. My relationships will get better if my heart is submitted to God. Now, one of the interesting things is you get toward the end of Paul's life, and one of the interesting things about the Apostle Paul is we get to see this this wide spectrum of who he was and how he developed and how he changed because of uh, just the volume of material we have that he's written. And toward the end of his life, he wrote the book of Colossians. It was this letter to the Colossian church. And as, as he was finishing up the letter, it's interesting. This is what he says. Uh, he, was, he was imprisoned in Rome when he wrote this. And he says, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. This is John Mark. This is the guy who sa he said, I don't want him with me. He's not coming with me. Now here he is saying, hey, John Mark's with me. He says, what's up? Hey, if he comes, make sure you take care of him. If he comes to visit you, you show him hospitality. That does not sound like the same tune he was singing in Acts chapter 15, right? Let me read another one. In 2 Timothy, this literally is the last book that he wrote, the last letter he wrote. He was nearing the end of his life. 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. 
Bring John Mark with you. And another translation says, for he is useful to me in ministry. Now, I might be taking a little bit of liberty. I don't think I'm taking much. Acts chapter 15. Paul says, we're not bringing that guy with us. He's, he's useless. He's going to get in the way. He's going to cause problems. Now, fast forward to the end of his life. And he says, hey, send that guy to me. Because he's useful. What happened? God happened. Seasons changed. Paul grew in his faith. He was sanctified to become who God wanted him to become. He began to look at things a little differently. I don't know about you. Uh, at the, when Paul was saved, he was around 30 years old when he had his encounter with Jesus. He died at around 60 years old. He probably wrote 2 Timothy around the age of 58. I don't know about you. I'm 44, and I look at myself when I was 30, and I think, what an idiot. Right? And I'm sure when I'm 58, I'm going to look at my 44-year-old self, and I'm going to say, what an idiot. I can't believe I thought some of the stuff I thought. I can't believe I said some of the things I said. I was a moron. And some of you are like, yep. <laughs> Why? Because seasons change. People develop. People grow in their faith. God softens our hearts. He transforms us over time. Seasons change. What we ultimately see is we, we don't know if Paul and Barnabas ever had this like reconcile moment. Like we want the movie scene, you know, where they like reconnect and they run and they hug each other. And it's a manly hug. It's not like a feminine. It's a manly like two-fisted, you know, where you, two, you know, hitting, all right, you know. But they hug and I'm so sorry I was wrong. Oh, no, I'm sorry I was wrong. Let's be best friends again. We don't see that. That could have happened, I guess, but we don't see it in Scripture. What we see is several times Paul mentions Barnabas as a contemporary in ministry. He speaks well of Barnabas. So we have to assume, again, that their hearts were healed from this separation. And I believe that they approached this the right way, that they looked at this and said, hey, you know what? The season we had together was incredible. But that season came to an end, and there was a new season that began. I could probably make a case that God did more through that separation than he would have done if they would have stayed together. Because they separated, they were able to impact more people and do more for the kingdom of God than if they would have stayed together. And so many times, we, we don't navigate broken relationships well because we don't understand that relationships are seasonal. We think they're permanent and they're forever. Other than your marriage, the other only relationship that is permanent, that is eternal, is your relationship with God. That is the only relationship that will survive eternity. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. And then he describes what that looks like. He says in verse 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. I don't know if you caught that first part. He says, 
love each other in the same way I loved you, that greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. What he's saying is, love each other sacrificially. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Love each other sacrificially. Lay yourself down for the good of the other. He says, do what I command. That's evidence that you're my friend. But you know what's interesting is um, we get to be friends with Jesus. I want want that to settle in your spirit for just a second. We get to be friends with Jesus. Let's take it a step further. He wants to be friends with me and you. There's two things we saw in that verse. First thing is he says, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And then he says, um, I call you friends. You're not servants, you're my friend. And the evidence that you're my friend is that I've told you everything the Father's told me. The other evidence is that first part where he says, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friend. He laid down his life for us. You might feel isolated and alone and lonely. Maybe you've got a friendship deficit, but I want to encourage you. You've got a friend that literally sticks closer than a brother. A friend that was made for adversity in Christ Jesus. He wants to be your friend. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He's the greatest friend we can ever have. And every other friendship in our life flows from this one friendship with Jesus Christ. There's an old song of the church that I thought about a lot this week. What a friend we have in Jesus. The, the last verse just says this. Can we find a friend more faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I love that. Jesus knows our every weakness and he still wants to be your friend there's lots of things we can do as a church to help you build relationships that's why we want you to serve that's why we want you to be in small groups we want you to be knit in community with people but it begins with our relationship with jesus right now i'm going to turn it over to our host in blairsville they're going to close out the rest of this message and they're going to give you an opportunity to respond but guys i want you to know i love you more than you know i'm so glad i get to be your pastor god bless you I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit's already dealing with some of your hearts right now. I believe some of you maybe feel convicted about the kind of friend you've been. Maybe some of you are, are feeling a little defensive because you feel this friendship deficit and you feel like you're a victim. I want to say this. I feel, I feel like I should say this. I want to say this as gently and lovingly as I can. To have friends, you have to be a friend. So if you're struggling because you don't have friends, I would encourage you, stop waiting for people to ask you and ask them. See what happens. If you realize that you've got broken relationships that are kind of a mess, I want to encourage you, go back to your relationship with Christ. What does that look like? And maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, you recognize that your relationship with Christ is not what it should be. It's unhealthy. 
And as a result, all the other relationships in your life are unhealthy. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. So why don't we pray together? Let's, let's just pray. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you that you are our friend. Thank you that you sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins so that we could be friends with him and friends with you and know you. You could know us. And help us not take that for granted. <clears throat> Lord, I pray for those that are lonely today, those that feel isolated today, those that feel forgotten today. I pray that you would encourage them. Help them see that you see them and you know them. You love them. God, I pray for those that are mourning broken relationships, betrayal and hurt. I pray that you'd comfort us with this knowledge that, that every relationship is seasonal except our relationship with you. So God, help us to enjoy the relationships and the seasons we're in. Help, them to mourn, help us to mourn them appropriately when they come to an end. But God, I pray that we would anchor ourselves in our relationship with you first and foremost. God, I pray for those that don't know you. Let today be the day they discover the greatest relationship they'll ever have. That's a relationship with you. I pray that because of that, every relationship will get better. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you tell me, Mel, <clears throat> I'm not really in relationship with God, I recognize today that, that I've got broken relationships, but I think the cause is my relationship with God is broken. It's not what it should be. And I need to fix that first and foremost. I need God to, to be reconciled to me and me to be reconciled to God before I can fix some of the other broken relationships in my life. I just want to surrender my life to Christ today. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you. So if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you, on my left. Who else would say, that's me, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, thank you, on my right. I see you. God. Yeah, I see you back there. Thanks, bud. A few more seconds, anyone else? Okay. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And this might be a prayer you're praying for the very first time. Or maybe you're praying this prayer as a prayer of rededication, that you're rededicating your heart to God. Whatever the case is, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud and pray it from your heart, everybody in this place. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your son to pay the penalty for my sins on the cross. Forgive me for what I've done and help me live a life that brings you glory. Thank you that I can be called a friend of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to know Scripture tells us you're a new creation. And we would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And so, um, so do one of two things. Either take the card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out, let us know about your, your uh, commitment or your recommitment to Christ today by just taking it to our info center, giving it to them. They're gonna help you take the next step. Or you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. And when you do that, select the prompt that says salvation. Let us know about your decision. And uh, we're gonna help get you connected to resources uh, that are gonna help you grow. And I wanna encourage you, one of the best things that you could do is get connected with Starting Point. So if you're 
returning to your faith or new to your faith, we've got a group called Starting Point that I would love for you to get connected with. Um, it's a four-week group that is fantastic. It's the fundamentals, and it's going to help you take the next step in your faith journey, I promise. So here's what's going to happen now. I'm going to say a final prayer of blessing over us as we're dismissed. And as I'm doing that, our prayer team and some of our staff is going to join me here at the front of this room. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, I would encourage you as we're dismissed, make your way forward and let us pray with you before you go. So let's pray while the team joins me up here. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for people who have said yes to you or people who have committed their lives to you. I pray that this would be a watershed moment for them. This would be a moment they're always gonna be able to look back on and recognize your goodness in this moment and in this season. God, I pray as we leave here today, we would walk out of here um, victorious, knowing that we are sons and daughters of God, knowing that you have directed our path, directed our steps. And I pray that you would bring blessing into our lives so that we can be a blessing. Lord, don't just bless us so we can have more. Bless us so we can do more for your kingdom and for your name. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.